0: Uh, Acts chapter 4 tonight as we continue our series in the book of Acts. And as we come to Acts chapter 4, just a couple of things to set the context of where we are. And this even, these couple of things even translate really throughout the whole book, and you'll be hearing me repeat this throughout our study of the book of Acts. One of the things that Luke wants Theophilus, the person that he wrote this book, to remember and be reminded of is that Jesus is keeping his promises. Jesus said, I'll build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so the story of Acts is not just a story of what the Holy Spirit is doing and the difference that he is making in God's people's lives. It is a picture and a portrait of the invisible Christ marching himself through history, and that he is invincible, and that no one is going to stop him or his plan and purpose that he has for his church, for his people, for the world. And yet, at every turn, we do see resistance and opposition. With every step that the kingdom of God advances, you see resistance and opposition and challenges being put forth at every turn. And you and I need to remember that principle and be reminded of it both in our personal life and in our corporate life. In other words, every step of advancement you and I take personally will be met with opposition and resistance. Every step that you and I take as a church, corporately, is going to be met by opposition and resistance, either from our spiritual enemy or from the world around us. And that was true in the book of Acts. And yet we're going to see tonight this beautiful response of the early church. And it's a great example for you and I because one of the things that has happened in the last couple thousand years is that both on a personal level and, as, and on a corporate level, as, as people of God began to advance and take ground spiritually, when they were met, with opposition, when they were met with resistance, many of them would go no further. Many of them just stopped dead in their tracks and said, no, this isn't for me. And they basically stopped the progress that they were making, and they stayed there, and obviously then retreated. And you and I need to have the resolve and the determination that if we're going to become all that God created us to be, both individually and corporately, we cannot be stopped by opposition and resistance. We've got to keep marching forward under the banner of our invincible Lord Jesus Christ and keep taking ground no matter what comes against us. And and we even see this even in our own church, our Our church is growing not only numerically and physically, but spiritually, and yet there's a lot of things coming against us, both individuals in our church, families in our church, and then us as a church, there's things that's happening. Uh, I personally believe that this sort of pause that we are on with the, the town of Gilbert over the whole traffic thing out here is just... Spiritual resistance, okay? And you and I have to be okay with dealing with it. Otherwise, we'll never keep making the progress that we should and could. So we're going to see all this in Acts chapter 4 tonight. And as we get into it, though, a couple of other things I want to point out. First of all, you'll see down through this passage again five times where... Not only are these people partnering with the Holy Spirit, and you and I need to do the same, but we see here with the names Peter and John. You'll see it in verse one Peter and John. You see their names again together in verse seven. You see their names together again in verse 13. You see their names together again in verse 19. And then finally in verse 23. Peter and John, Peter and John. Peter and John have formed a partnership, a spiritual partnership. God doesn't want us out there doing life and ministry on our own. He wants to bring a partner or partners into our life because here especially, they're not just doing life and ministry. They are on the spiritual battlefield. And the arrows of the enemy are flying at them. And just as it is important when when someone would be literally on a physical battlefield, fighting a military battle that you want to know that you have brothers in arms and sisters in arms, if you will, who are standing with you in the heat of the battle, that same principle is true in the spiritual realm as well. We all need to know that there are those spiritual soldiers of Jesus Christ that are willing to be at the very front lines of the battle and stand with us and partner with us as we're on the battlefield making progress for the Lord. And that was Peter and John. So thank God if you have a partner in Christ and if you don't, pray for one. Because too often as Christians, we're out there trying to fight our battles, not only you know, uh, not even partnering so much with the Lord, but even having a a human partner to partner with as well. And no wonder then the uh, discouragement that can set in and just the overwhelmingness of it all uh, when you're on the spiritual battlefield. So there's that. But then you'll notice in the first couple of verses how this all sets up. It says, while Peter and John were speaking to the people, Notice, here comes the opposition. Here comes the hostility. Here comes the antagonism. The priests and the commander of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to them, and they were angry, displeased, annoyed, even offended that they were teaching the people and announcing in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. If if in Jesus was resurrection, then that meant Jesus rose from the dead, the one that they killed. And it also is a reminder of even what Jesus said. He said, because I live, you will live also. And you and I have hope in our future resurrection because Jesus Christ is very much alive and he conquered death and now he promises all his followers that we will conquer death as well. In him. Notice that. Notice that. In Jesus is the resurrection of the dead. So they seized them, put them in jail, verse 3, until the next day, for it was already evening. And yet, and yet, notice now verse 4. In spite of the antagonism, the hostility, the opposition, the intimidation that these religious leaders of Israel are trying to bear upon Peter and John and the other followers of Jesus Christ, notice God is at work. God is still moving in the midst of all of it because many of those who were listening to the message believed, trusted, placed their faith in Jesus, and the number of men came to about 5,000. If the number of men were 5,000, then add the women and children, this would have been quite a multitude of people who came to faith in Jesus Christ. But notice, they were coming to faith in Jesus Christ as the church was facing opposition, as it was facing resistance, as it was getting pushback. You see, God is saying to his people, it's not going to be easy. I will continue to advance my kingdom, but you've got to trust me to keep following me because I'm your invincible Lord. And there's nothing or no one that can stop me. But that doesn't mean that there's not going to be pushback from Satan, from the demonic world, from the world itself. And, and, and so you and I have to be willing, like the early church, to keep pressing forward because God is going to continue to move in spite of it all, you see. So on the next day, verse 5, their rulers, elders, and experts of the law came together in Jerusalem. The high priest was there and all the other members of his family and all of that, and notice they made Peter and John stand in their midst. You can imagine on a human level how intimidating that would have been. Here's the Sanhedrin, the, the religious leaders of Israel, as well as others like the high priest family. And they're all there, and they're surrounding Peter and John. And they begin to inquire, by what power or by what name did you do this? Because remember, this in chapter 4 is all built on what we saw last week in chapter 3. They healed that lame man who had been there at the beautiful gate, for 40 years. And Peter raised him up and healed him through the power of the name of Jesus Christ. And and we see later on in this passage, it was a miracle that everyone saw, and they could not deny it. So they never try to deny that the miracle took place. They're simply upset that they're talking about it being through Jesus and the power and authority of his name. That's the sticking point. So notice verse 8, very important. Peter is once again filled with the Holy Spirit. Now again, (laughs) baptized once, but multiple fillings. And that's why even Paul tells us as New Testament Christians to continually be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. How's that work? How's that happen? Through our yielded spirit. You see, it is through us yielding our spirit that then allows the Holy Spirit to exert his influence in our life and his power, Through our life. If we are not yielded to the Holy Spirit, then He cannot exert the influence and the power that He wants to exert in our lives and through our lives. So, in a sense, we've got to come as willing and sort of empty vessels and and say, Spirit, fill me. I'm going to turn it over to you. I'm going to let you control me instead of me trying to control the situation. I'm going to let you be the primary influence in my life, not me or anything or anyone else. I'm going to turn the controls over to you. And when we come to the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, with that kind of attitude, with that kind of mindset, the Holy Spirit then will fill us and become the primary person, if you will, in control of our actions, of our speech, and again, will amplify everything in connection with God and will enable us and empower us to to go way beyond what we could ever do on our own. You see, that's what the filling of the Spirit does. And when the Spirit does that. There's something else that happens that I want to point out because it's so prominent in this passage. And that is, I want to take us back to the words of Jesus regarding the coming of the Spirit. He says in John's Gospel, chapter 16, and when the Spirit of truth comes, he will not only guide you into all truth, he will glorify me. In other words, you and I know when the Spirit of God is in control of any situation or circumstance when Jesus Christ is exalted, when he is lifted up, when he is raised up, when he is the center of attention and focus, guess what? It's the Holy Spirit behind it. Jesus even said, He's not going to draw attention to himself. That's not the role of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's role in the plan of God is not to draw attention to himself. The Holy Spirit's role is to get people to look to Jesus. And I want you to see that throughout this. Notice how Jesus is, in a sense, the linchpin of everything. I mean, first of all, That's what's got the religious leaders of Israel so riled up. It wasn't even necessarily that a miracle took place or a healing took place. It's the fact that it was in Jesus or through the name and power and authority of Jesus. So notice what Peter says in verse 10. He says, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel. It was by the name, the power and authority of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene. Then notice what else Peter says, verse 11. This Jesus that you crucified, who's been raised from the dead, it's because of him that this man not only stands healthy, but also Peter is declaring, oh, by the way, he's the very cornerstone of God's plan. Peter loves rocks. I think ever since Jesus said, your name's not going to be Simon anymore, it's going to be Peter, a rock, I think Peter loved that idea. And Peter immediately is saying, but you know who the real ultimate rock is? It's Jesus Christ. He is the cornerstone of God's plan. And every Jew that knew their Old Testament knew exactly what Peter was saying. Jesus Christ was not just the cornerstone of God's plan. That meant he was the Messiah. That's what that meant. And then notice what Peter goes on to say. Verse 12 that in salvation there is no other name. In other words, Peter is saying, when it comes to salvation, it is all about the absolute exclusivity of Jesus. There there is salvation in nothing else or no one else. It's all wrapped up in Jesus. I mean, over and over again. What are we seeing here? The Holy Spirit is glorifying Jesus. Through Peter. Peter's saying, yep, the miracle happened because Jesus made it happen. Because you didn't kill him, he's still alive, and he's orchestrating things from heaven. It's by his power and authority. And this Jesus, you've not only not killed him, but now he's become the very cornerstone, the very foundation of all that God is going to do throughout the rest of eternity. And God is saving people, just as these thousands of people have gotten saved today. And you know how they got saved? The only way someone can get saved, and that's through Jesus. Now, even you and I know today, right? That's not politically correct. That's not popular to preach that salvation is only in Jesus. But let me tell you something. It's biblically correct, and it's what God has revealed in his word, and as long as I'm the pastor of this church, that's the only message of salvation we're going to preach and teach here is that salvation is only through Jesus Christ, period. There is no other salvation, just as Peter preached. Notice also in verse 13, all these people saw the boldness the resolve, the fearlessness of Peter and John. And they were like, these guys didn't go to our seminaries. These guys didn't graduate from our Bible colleges, and they're just ordinary. There's nothing special about them. But guess what? They recognized these men had been with who? Jesus. And you know what that means in the original language? It literally means that Peter and John had the marks of Jesus Oh, isn't that a great term? I mean, when you think about the marks of Jesus, you even think about the scars that he will carry throughout eternity on his body from, from the sacrifice of the cross and from his crucifixion and, and how we see that his followers, his faithful followers, his devoted followers, in a sense, are carrying the marks of Jesus, not in a physical way, but, but in a spiritual way. They, they see that these guys... Speak and act and and have a, they're like Jesus. They have the marks of Jesus. Oh, that that would be true of us. Now notice verse 18. Again, it's all about Jesus. Why are they upset? The religious leaders basically call them in, again, because they cannot deny the miracle. You see that there in verse 16. But they say to Peter and John and the others, they are ordering them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. There it is again. Boy, isn't Jesus a troublemaker? The one that they thought they got rid of is now the one behind everything that's happening. And, and it, listen, even in our day and age, you know, you can talk about spiritual things with other people and really not get too much of, a, of have an issue. You can even talk about God in a general sense and you're not going to really stir up anything or get any kind of opposition, antagonism, but you bring up the name of Jesus, oh, my, that's where things go off the rail. (laughs) And you know why? Because Satan hates Jesus. And Satan is behind all opposition to Jesus. And Satan is the one, not that that they're not responsible, but Satan is the one behind all human opposition to Jesus. They're just willing participants. But it's Jesus. It's the name of Jesus. It's the person of Jesus. He's the one that stirs the pot. And you see it here. But make no mistake about it. Why is Jesus front and center in everything that's going on here, including everything that Peter and John are speaking about and saying and testifying to? Because the Holy Spirit's in control of the situation. And the Holy Spirit, when he's in control, he will magnify Jesus. And hopefully that will always be said of us, both individually, personally, and as a church, that if we're known for anything, we're known for the fact that We love Jesus. We celebrate Jesus. We want to extol and lift up Jesus. We want to magnify him in every way that we can because when that's happening, that means the Holy Spirit of God is in control of the situation. In fact, a couple more. Notice over in verse 27, Peter talks about the fact that every one of the the Romans and and the Gentiles and the people of Israel, they assembled together against who? The holy servant Jesus that God had anointed. And then he says, but listen, as they prayed, God began to move and work through them again. They were doing miraculous signs and wonders, verse 30, and guess again, through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Jesus. One other, verse 33, they were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. I mean over and over and over again. It was all about Jesus and that there was salvation in no other. Now I want to go back and pick it up in verse 18. Again, We can't truly appreciate the intimidation that the religious leaders of Israel were attempting here. It was not only that there were many, many of them, over 100, and here's two of Jesus' disciples, right? And they were trying to put the pressure on them to keep their mouths shut. It's exactly what the world tries to do today. Don't talk about Jesus. Don't worship Jesus. Don't praise, you know. No. That's never going to be something that you and I are not going to face opposition and resistance and and all of that to, because it's always been that way. I love the response, though, of Peter and John. Look at verse 19. Whether it is right before God to obey, you rather than God, you decide. But it is impossible for us not to speak about what we have seen and heard. Literally in the original language, Peter and John are saying, we are absolutely not able not to speak. In other words, they are testifying to the fact that there is a greater power operating within them than the power that is opposing them. Oh, that's that's something you and I need to grasp a hold of because that's the way God wants us to live, through the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. Because will there be pressure and power outside, externally, coming against us as Christians and as a church? Absolutely. Jesus foretold it. He predicted. He wants his followers to understand that's all part of God's plan. But he's saying, through your partnership with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, because he's God of very God, is a greater power than any power that's coming against you. And therefore, just like Peter and John, we can withstand the pressure and we can withstand the powers coming against us because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And that's why Peter and John says, well, you know, you guys decide for yourselves, but we're not going to stop speaking because we have a Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God in us, And he's not going to permit us not to speak. He's just bubbling it up, and it's got to come out. So forget it. The power within us is greater than the power that's coming against us. You and I need to live with that principle and remind ourselves whatever pressures and whatever power is coming against us, the power inside of us is greater to withstand it and resist it and push against it. And that's exactly what Peter and John were saying. Well, notice verse 21. After threatening them further, they released them for they could not find how to punish them because all the other people, they were having a worship service. They were praising God and glorifying and celebrating God because of what happened. Why? Because the man on whom this miraculous sign of healing had been performed was over 40 years old. From 40 years, this poor man, Was lame. And now he was leaping and praising God as we saw in Acts chapter 3, all because of the power and authority of Jesus Christ and how Jesus was working through his followers, just as Jesus wants to work through us today. But he needs to have yielded souls who will yield our will and and everything that we have to the Holy Spirit and let the Holy Spirit take over. And when the Holy Spirit again takes over, he's the divine amplifier. He's going to ratchet everything up in our lives. And all of a sudden, we're going to start seeing and and, and being able to do things and speak things and all of that that we never could before because we're in partnership with the Holy Spirit. And he's carrying us way beyond our own abilities, way beyond our own abilities. But in closing tonight, in these last minutes we have together, I want us to really take stock of the response of the early church because you want to talk about an example. I mean, they could have went home with their tail between their legs, as we say. They could have said, man, did we get in trouble? We were brought before, you know, the hierarchy of Israel. I mean, these were people from the time... These men and women were born in Israel. This was a group of people that they were taught to revere. They were taught to follow. These were the religious leaders. If you follow anyone, you listen to them. And now all of a sudden, they're finding themselves on the opposite side of this group. And they could have even said, you know what? This isn't worth it. Look at how our lives are all upside down now because of us putting ourselves out there. Look at how it's going to upset our families. In a sense, Acts chapter 4 is a a great chapter that reveals to us the cost of discipleship, the cost of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. It's going to cost us something if we want to faithfully follow the Lord. And you see that happening here. Was the cost too great? No. Look at how these folks responded. And I want us to zero in on this because you and I can practice the same principles that they exercised in their response to this intimidation, opposition, antagonism, and threats by their spiritual enemies. What did they first do? Verse 23. When they were released, Peter and John went where? their fellow believers they huddled together with their spiritual family oh my goodness who did they go to their brothers and sisters in Christ again to not only share with them what's going on, but to, again, receive that mutual strength and support and encouragement. That's why God created the church. That's one of the reasons why. Not just so we could be his instrument to take the gospel to a lost world, but so that we would have a spiritual family that we could do this together with. And so often in our lives... You know, things happen in our life and and we're going through hard times and whatever and we try to get through it on our own instead of coming together with our spiritual family and huddling together with fellow believers. That's what they did. They not only huddled together and reported everything, verse 23, that the high priest and the elders said to them, You know what else they did? The second thing they did after they huddled together and got together, they started a prayer service. They prayed. They got together, and they got on their knees, and they prayed. Listen, you and I need to continue to grow in our prayer life, and not just in our personal prayer life. But we need to learn to pray together with our fellow believers. And I realize for some of you, that's a stretch. Start out with one other person. And maybe you don't feel comfortable praying out loud, then let them pray. But be there, just the two of you. Where two or three are gathered, there I am. And there's something not only about our our prayers, going up to the Lord individually, and that's certainly important, and God encourages us to have a a personal prayer life, but there's something about when believers come together and agree together to pray for something. Jeff was talking about how God is moving through our, our prayer warriors at this church and through our prayer ministry, and Dave talks about this all the time about encouraging more and more people to to join our prayer team and to just be in prayer and whatever. And, man, when things are happening around our church and people are going through the fires and stuff, and we've seen that just in the last couple days. We've had families and folks in our church that's been in desperate need of prayer, and it's so great, isn't it, as a Christian, to be able to know that I can reach out to my brothers and sisters in Christ and ask them to pray for something for me? And that's why it should be just as important for us to make sure that we make ourselves available to be a prayer warrior for others when they have a need because there are those who will stand with us and pray when we have a need. And that's exactly what the early church was doing. First of all, they didn't try to, Peter and John didn't go by themselves. No, they went and huddled together with their fellow believers and then they joined one another in prayer. Now, let's talk about a couple aspects of their prayer that's very important. The very first thing they did in their prayer was not focus on themselves and what they were going through. No, their focus was on their great God. That's where great prayer starts. It starts with God. Notice, master of all, absolute ruler Of the universe creator of all who made the heaven and the earth the sea and everything and revealer of all who has spoken through the Holy Spirit through your servant David in your scriptures they started with God reminding themselves of who it is that they're talking to this isn't just anybody and he's not Santa Claus sitting up there you know no, he's the God and ruler of the universe that you and I get to pray to. And it's so important because to me, what really brings power to prayer is remembering who it is that we're appealing to in our prayers. We can go to no higher power or authority than the one we're talking to. And that's exactly what the early church did. But they also did this. Notice verse 29. After they exalted God through prayer, they asked God for something. But it isn't maybe what we would expect because like many Christians, many Christians would have prayed at this point this way. And God... Would you remove our enemies from our midst? God, would you make our lives easier? God, would you take away the opposition and the resistance and and the threats and, and the intimidation that we're facing? But that's not the mindset of the early church. Here's what they ask for. Lord, pay attention to their threats and grant your servants, verse 29, to speak your message with great courage. Boldness, confidence. And these words speak about speaking in such a way that that what we say leaves a mark. It leaves an impression upon others. I love that. Peter and John and the other disciples of the Lord here are praying that God will give them words that literally when they speak will leave a mark and an impression on the lives and minds and hearts of those that they speak to. while you extend your hand to heal and to bring about miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. They didn't pray for easier lives. And as I thought about that, I thought about the quote that President Kennedy gave in 1963 in one of his addresses. He was quoting a pastor, and the pastor said this to his congregation one day. Do not pray for easy lives. Pray to be stronger people. Do not pray for tasks equal to your power. Pray for power equal to your tasks. That's what the early church was doing. They weren't praying for everything to be easier for God to remove all their enemies and all their... No, they were praying to be stronger people. And oh, that we, the church today, would have that same attitude. Instead of praying for the world to just fall on its knees and to make things easy for us, we should be praying, God, even in the midst of a world that is hostile to us and antagonistic and opposing us at every turn, and every time we try to make an advance for you, God, make us stronger instead of taking that away. Because that was the early church. And too often today, we're praying for just the opposite. God, make my life easier. No, the difference was the early church never prayed that. They prayed, make me stronger, God. Help me to rise to the challenges that I am facing. And I think God honored that because notice the verse 31. When they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken. Can you imagine if the walls of this auditorium started to move? and the chairs started to go up and down, God was in a sense saying, I'm in your midst, and I'm moving. Because even the physical place is like there's an earthquake going on. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they all began to speak the Word of God courageously, fearlessly, boldly, leaving a mark or an impression couple other things. Verse 32. The group of those who believed were of one heart and mind. They were totally unified. Boy, what a difference if the church today could be totally unified. That all of us, even at the Oasis, could be of one mind because we're all being controlled and influenced by the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit isn't going to lead us as his people to compete with one another, but to complement one another and to be all going in the same direction. That was the early church. And no one said that any of his possessions was his own, but there was this unbelievable care and concern and love that they all had for each other. And notice then verse 33. Not just with power, but with great power. The apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was on them all. Now, I'm going to leave verses 34 through 37 for next week because actually those verses go with chapter 5 more than they go with chapter 4. But remember at the very beginning, I talked about how the Holy Spirit is a divine amplifier? I want you to see this because I marked all these in my Bible. Again, through partnership with the Holy Spirit, in verse 29, they didn't just receive or ask for courage. They were going to receive great courage. Notice in verse 33, through partnership with the Holy Spirit, they weren't just given power. They were given great power. And notice, they weren't just given grace in verse 33. They were given and granted great, grace. That's the difference that the Holy Spirit makes. He just raises the level of everything in our lives. And he wants to do the same thing in us and through us today. You and I can basically live our lives and navigate our existence on this earth and respond the same way they did. We can say there's a power greater inside of us than the power that's against us. And we can withstand whatever's coming against us, whatever the pressure is. And we're going to huddle together continually and regularly and consistently with our spiritual family, our brothers and sisters in Christ, because we draw strength and encouragement and support from being together as God's people. And we're going to pray. And we're going to commit ourselves to prayer. And in our prayers, we're going to continually remind ourselves of who we're praying to. And instead of praying for things to be easier, we're going to start praying for us to be stronger. And let me tell you, when we start responding that way, God's going to start shaking things up. He's going to continue to move and move in extraordinary ways. And he's not just going to give us... Courage. He's going to give us through the Holy Spirit great courage. He's not just going to grant us power. He's going to give us great power. And He's not just going to bestow grace. He's going to bestow great grace because that's what the Holy Spirit does. Father, we thank you tonight for the opportunity we've had to be in your house. Thank you, God, that we have times throughout our week where we can huddle together and be together, God. And Lord, I I pray that we would follow the example of those early Christians. God, that we would continue to be a part of advancing your kingdom on earth in spite of the opposition and the resistance and the pressure that comes against us. God, would you grant us at the Oasis great grace, great power, and great courage through your Holy Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, two things real quick. Don't forget, ladies, Bible study for you gals starts tomorrow, 9.30 in the morning, 6.30 in the evening. You can still be a part of it. We'd love to have you out. And then uh, if you're a parent, especially of youth, uh, there is an app uh, called the Group Me app uh, that our youth are using to get word out about upcoming events and activities. You can talk to Bethany Johnson or my son Steve about that or figure it out. We'll help you navigate that so that you don't miss out on what's coming up with our youth group. Thank you guys so much for being here. We'll see you next week.